Hello and welcome to Tools in a Shed, a podcast powered by Cars Guy, ready to rip into car stuff that's caught our eye this week. I'm Cars Guy Deputy Editor James, and with me is our fearless leader, Mel. G'day, James. And key contributor, Steve. Greetings. This week, we're looking at the best electric cars heading our way in 2021 or soon after, um, quietly but significantly. Um, we'll give you a rundown on a trio of recent entries to the Cars Guy Garage, and we'll catch up with the Apple of Indonesian President Joko Widodo's eye in this week's Musk Watch. So stay with us. But first of all, electric cars, and um, there's a fair bunch of them coming our way this year, 2021, and others soon after. In fact, a laundry list, and, and we've plucked out the best or the most interesting five of those, some for this year, some for, for just a little bit later. Um, but they're, um, they're making their way here to Australia slowly but surely. Um, EV infrastructure is growing again, slowly but sh- uh, surely, but from coast to coast. And car makers remain confident that legislators will eventually join uh, together in, in uh, incentivising EV uptake. So there are a few planets aligning to mean that uh, more car brands are confident in bringing full zero-tail pipe emission EVs to Australia. So that when I say a laundry list, let me just rattle through a few that are coming uh, next year. That's the Volvo XC40 Recharge, Tesla Model S Plaid, Audi e-tron S, BMW iX3, Nissan Leaf E+, Hyundai Ioniq 5, uh, Hyundai Kona Electric, Mazda MX-30, Lexus UX300e, BMW iX, and then after that, in the next few years, we've got the Nissan Araya, the Tesla Model Y, VW ID4, Renault 5 Prototype, if it comes to production, which it likely will, Kia EV6, it just goes on and on. So from a trickle, the tap is, is uh, turning on just that bit harder. And I, I wonder, guys, if we should start with what is possibly the most outrageous EV that we're likely to see in the next few years, which is the Tesla Model S Plaid. And Mal, you were mentioning that um, good old Elon's had a bit of fun with that name, but it's an amazing vehicle. I wonder if they're going to localise the name to Tartan, first and foremost. <laughs> Could do. But um, so it's, it's interesting you say it's the most, do you say most outrageous? I think it's pretty outrageous. I mean, yeah. we're talking 2.1 seconds, 0 to 100. That is outrageous. That 300, is 320 kilometre an hour top speed. Mm, which, yes, that's like... Basically, half the zero to one hundred figure of a of a V eight supercar yeah. or supercar. Um, yeah. But also, we should point out that the Model S is about a decade old. Oh yeah, that, so most look, outrageous, that, fastest, but you know the fundamental is, is design that a, is a, decade a old. tribute to its original design, though. That I think it still looks really crisp and contemporary. It, it does yep. not look like a ten year old design. Yep, and it's been revised dozens of times, and uh, yeah, they've, they've played that well. I think yes, green, very green to recycle your design over and over again for years. It's very environmentally <laughs> yes, friendly. Very, very environmentally friendly. <laughs> but it's going to have it's going to have uh, you know three electric motors. One's on the front axle, two on the rear. Uh, Eight hundred and twenty kilowatts. So of course you've got the all-wheel drive. Um, and now our best estimation is that prices will start if you now Tesla's famous for for tinkering around with whether you include luxury car tax. Or, or not, but with luxury car tax, it'll be about two hundred and twenty-three, twenty-four thousand uh, dollars before on-road costs. So that's sixty-five thousand dollars more than the Model S Performance um, is currently. 
So I don't think it's going to be a common sight, but uh, there'll be plenty of people ready to to have one in their garage, I reckon. But it's still cheaper than a Taycan Turbo. So, Good point. Uh, and Good much point. faster. And much, much faster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, its its primary job in life will be to impress your friends or, or you know, slash scare your friends. Yeah, uh, that, we'll do that. That'll be so, its party trick. And so the fact that, you know, we're discussing it before all these other new arrivals yes. suggests it's, it's playing a really good, doing a really good job of, you know, don't forget us. Yeah. Well, look, it's, it's possible as a late 2021, uh, maybe early 2022 um, is, is our best guess. So, uh, yeah, it's not too far away. Put it, you know. What I want to know is how they're doing it. Like, as a few years ago, someone at Lamborghini, like an engineer, said to me, "We can't, you can't get a car on road tyres to go much below 2.9, 2.8 because road tyres just can't achieve more grip." He said, "We can put more power in the car, I can get more power down, but it will just tear the tyres apart. Mm. We cannot go faster than that. We've kind of hit a wall, and we'd rather talk about zero to two hundred times because zero to one hundred times won't get any faster." And then, yes. anyone as about if zero car, to two hundred uh, is so so relevant, you know yeah, what I relevant. <laughs> You know what I reckon? I reckon it, it just comes down to the weight of the car. Like the, the heaviest Hyundai, and sorry, this is discounting the Urus, but uh, sorry, did I say heaviest Hyundai? Yeah, you did. Yeah. I think you meant Oops. Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> it's very similar. I, I didn't mean Hyundai. Uh, the heaviest Lamborghini, uh, probably the Aventador. What's that? 1700, I suppose. But um, a Model S, you know, with three motors and... Yeah, that's a good point. A whopping big battery. Three digits of kilowatt hour batteries yeah. uh, would have a lot of mass to sort of transfer, shift into the ground and propel it forwards. Yeah. So, yeah. But oh, I mean, the other thing about that whopping big battery is they're claiming uh, 840 kilometres between charges. So that's an enormous range. Yeah. So yes, it is, it is a big battery. And that actually gets to being a real world range. Like that's, mm. that's actually useful. I mean, yeah. a week with something that had 400, you do find that 400 is not enough. Yes. Mm. And I think we should touch on the name, which is, uh, I think, a tip of the hat to Spaceballs, the uh, Star Wars <laughs> ah, uh, tribute movie, spoof movie, where the they go to light speed, but there's one beyond light speed, which, of course, is plaid mode. Ah. Tartan, tartan kind of vectoring uh, comes across the screen uh, to indicate very, very high speed. So I just remember yeah. Pizza the Hut. Pizza the Hut, yes. And Dark Helmet, and who the... was Rick Moranis. One of <laughs> some of his great. best work. Some good great, best work. Great cast. I mean John Candy's best work. John Candy, yeah. <laughs> True. Yes, was he he was like he was meant to be um what's the Chewbacca. Hairy, Chewbacca, but he was like a dog. He was like a cross <laughs> yeah. between an Ewok and Chewbacca. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well look, that's good. Moving on, our next cab off the rank is a little more everyday. It's the Leaf that we're well familiar with, but this is an E-plus version. So that's we're, we're talking the first half of this year um, is our theory in terms of when it might arrive. So it's adding some power and torque. And um, now we've, we've had a little bit of experience with it too. Yes, yeah, so it's also about more range, I think, that one, isn't it? That's the, yeah. that's the selling point. And yeah. um, they're also... It'll also be part of their uh, their V2G thing. You'll hear, a lot, you hear them talk about this a lot where they do vehicle to grid. So you'll right. be able to, um, in, in Japan, it's handy if you have a cyclone or a tsunami or something and all power goes out, then you can just plug your house into your right. lift. And they're, they're okay. actually running a trial at the ANU of 50, 50 leaves as we speak. And that trial will be uh, getting bigger, I think. But that's part of the, 
the, the deal. And I think for Australia, the relevance would be if you're in South Australia and the power goes out. Yes. We would use a leaf instead. Pretty cool. I mean, it, and sorry, to your point, Steve, the range, this one adds 115 kilometres, which means it goes to 385, nearly 400 kilometres uh, range. So mm-hmm. as well as that ability, that's pretty handy. It also makes it quicker. It goes 0 to 100 in 7.3, so it's not a plaid, uh, but it's just, that, it's just that little bit nippier, I suppose. And, and the electric cars have that kind of mid, it has that mid-range torque that's useful. Like off oh, the line is all right, but it's that, it's that ability to punch in the mid-range from, you know, from 80 to 100. It's very good. Yes. Very good there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's very much a city car, that's right. And yeah. unlike the Model S, yes, as you say, city car, the, the Leaf E Plus represents like the mainstream future potential of electric cars, you know, together with the Ionic uh, and the, the latest NGs as well. It, it actually represent the, the mainstream uh, price tag in yep. the EV market. It, it makes me uh, rather uncomfortably reminiscent of most of my mathematics exams E Plus. That's, that's around, about <laughs> where I, it's around about where I came out. That makes sense. <laughs> Yeah. E plus. E plus. Not E, E plus. So um, that's good. That's one to look forward to. And then we'll go to number three, which is, you know, I'm not alone in thinking this is one of the most attractive, how to make um, a compact car look amazing, the Hyundai Ionic 5. And we touched on this a little bit uh, last week in our discussion around the virtual Geneva uh, motor show, but let's go there again. It's, it's a development of what was the 45 concept which was from 2019 Frankfurt Motor Show, and it is just the most beautiful-looking little car. What, what do you guys make of it? I love it. It looks fantastic. It's it's like it's like someone took the Golf and made it look better. It's like they've shown you well. Here's what ex- you could have done with the Golf design. Yeah, an exercise in subtlety, isn't it? But I, I find it interesting when it first appeared. Was it Frankfurt a couple of years ago? Yes, we all it sort was. of thought, "Oh, what's that? What are they doing?" Hmm. You know, there's nothing to it, but. I, that concept has done a great job of warming us up to it. And, you know, with the production version reveal, everyone's just fawning over it. You and it, and it's, it's refreshingly appealing. It's great. It's simple. It's, it's that uh, re- reduction, that, that simplicity of line, um, whether, it, whether it is ultimately tizzied up with, you know, I, I don't know, if this is a production version, boy, they've done a great job. Yeah. And so it, it's riding on uh, the Hyundai Group's eGMP platform, yes. which I understand is an EV-specific uh, engineering platform. Electric now, Global Modular Platform. They, that sounds like it. So it strikes me, though, that this is the most kind of mainstream EV-specific platform to date. You know, yep. elsewhere we've seen it in the premium end. You know, Tesla did theirs and, you know, um, Mercedes is about to launch theirs with the EQS. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these are all big dollar options. Yes. And the Ionic 5 will be, you know, built. For, oh, sorry, Jaguar of iPace is another one. Um, yeah. But the Ionic 5 will be sort of, you know, back down to reality. Well, um, it has, it has a, 800 volt architecture, which means that um, one little um, nugget that I plucked out was a five minute charge will add back 100 kilometers of driving range. I so, Yeah. If you've got the the like the power on a three fifty kilowatt DC fast charger, mm. five minutes will give you a hundred kilometers. It so, sounds like you'll be able to weld with a USB cable if you cross the streams. That's not bad. That's, that's not bad. I like the idea of that. Oh, lot. my car's split in half. I know. I'm welded. So, so you can have it. You can have it rear wheel drive or all wheel drive, as in one or two electric motors. So there'll be different versions, different prices. 
Um, it's about the same. It's actually a little bit bigger than a Tucson. So to put it into in context, you're looking at 20-inch alloys, pop-out door handles, what they're calling parametric pixel headlights, uh, all this amazing stuff. And they've done a deal with, or sorry, they've collaborated um, on the multimedia. So it's a 12-inch it's a uh, digital instrument cluster, 12-inch touchscreen multimedia system. It's all going on inside as well. And I believe I've read that they've been swamped with orders in uh, Europe and South Korea, like absolutely yeah, swamped. Right. Is that probably right? not Australia, yeah. where, you know, all, as all of these cars are fighting for 1% of the market. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's true. And, I mean, it's, um, it's gone the, the full, uh, full deal inside on the materials that are used, recycled PET bottles, plant-based and natural wood yarns, eco-processed leather with plant-based extracts, uh, bio paint with plant extracts used across its seats, armrests, door trims, headliner and floor. So you can have a, a clear conscience whilst driving your Ionic 5. Does that and, all sound very expensive to you? Like as soon as I hear that, I think, well, that's going to cost you. Well, perhaps, but the back to the PET bottles, the reason why they use PET is because, you know, the little number one in the recycling logo on a PET bottle. Oh, is, yeah. Number one on the recyclability scale, so it's the most recyclable of all plastics. I see. So it's it's great to see that they can sort of make it suit automotive applications because there's lots lots of it out there and yep. it's easy to recycle. Yeah. Therefore, you know, suggests requires little energy to do so. Yeah. Adds up to me. Mm. Well, I mean, those those um, lists of people who put their names down or lodged a deposit or whatever they've done. It's the second half of this year when it's meant to go on sale globally. So there'll be some on the road when, when we might see it. Um, that's another question, as you say, Steve. Yeah. But uh, it's an exciting one nonetheless. Mm. Yeah. Should we, should we talk about the Kia equivalent now? Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Go. What, what, sorry, I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> You've got it written down in front of you. EV6. EV6, right. So yes. we've seen Hyundai's and, and now we've, you know, very soon after we've seen Kia's one. Yeah. Uh, over to you guys. No, well, um, it's uh, it's all but confirmed to compete in uh, the same segment as the Ionic Five, so as a mid-size SUV, so Rav Four, CX Five, X Trail, Tucson Forester, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what we've been shown so far is a glimpse. Uh, you can look at the the headlights, full width tail lights. It's obviously quite dramatic. Nothing known at this point about um, the interior but it will have very similar stats, no surprise, uh, to that Hyundai, the same 800-volt um, architecture. And it marks the beginning, we, we believe, of a Kia um, naming hierarchy. So think EV1, EV2, EV3, EV4, EV5. So EV6 is just the start of it and, and on it will go. So that's how Kia is going to approach the whole electric vehicle thing. Bit of a challenge for the designers when the when the Hyundai one already looks so good. It's like having El McPherson as your older sister. That's true. <laughs> yes. What was El McPherson? What is El McPherson's? She has a sister, Mimi. 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 Yes. yes. The the infamy that at one point surrounded uh, the, <laughs> the younger sister. Yes. We'll you have to get attention somehow when your sister's. It's <laughs> true. Yes, we all know how to get famous, and yes. uh, that's that's what she did. <laughs> um, okay, so moving on. Moving on. <laughs> Let's move on to number four in our, our five-vehicle hit list, and that is the Mazda MX-30, which will arrive in Australia initially anyway as a mild hybrid. But the one that's uh, piqued our interest is the full EV, pure electric car, 
Um, but Steve, as I understand, you've had some experience with this vehicle anyway. Yes, I went to Norway. I was going to say, I always keep saying last year, but nothing happened last year. So it must have been the year before. And uh, I drove it in Norway, which is an eye-opening experience generally to just be in, be in a country where everything was electric. And um, the thing, the interesting thing with the time Mazda said, well, we're going to only give this car to countries where it makes sense. So if you don't sell a lot of electric cars and you don't have a lot of infrastructure, we're not going to waste our time sending it there. But then the Mazda Australia people, when they unveiled it again at the Tokyo show, said, we really want it. So I think there's a bit of, bit of uh, tug of war where they, they want to be able to push the market forward. They're very keen on EVs. And Japan looks at us and goes, are you joking? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. But but the Mazda Japan does that all the time. Like initially we weren't supposed to get the CX eight, and then we got the CX eight as a diesel, and we said we wanted a petrol. And they went, no, it's a diesel yeah. only. And now we yeah. got it as a petrol. So petrol. It's next amazing. time Mazda yeah. says it's not coming to Australia, I say we just go, no, it's coming. That's it. Because yeah. right. you know, history shows that we end up winning the tug of war. The mm. the one the one I actually like the sound of um, is a range extender with a little rotary engine. Um, which is expected a little later on. That that I reckon is pretty cool to have a Mazda rotary um, of, of some description. But I I always, for what it's worth, liked the idea of the range extender BMW i3 because um, yes, you, I think you gave away a little bit of power on the electric motor, but just that flexibility at that stage in EV development in Australia was ideal. Yeah, so, and the motor was solely dedicated to charging the the battery. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Drive. Yeah. Which means you can have a you know an engine of a particular design that doesn't need to have a, a you know torque characteristics etc. It yeah. just just like an aeroplane engine, it just sits there and runs at a single speed. Exactly. Um, but I really hope that the the rotary element is more than just cool. I hope that it's actually effective at charging the the, the thing. I hope it's more than just a an excuse yeah. to chuck a rotary in a car. But uh, yeah. we'll soon see. Well, I, I did in Japan at one point drive an Audi with a rotary range extender engine, electric vehicle with a rotary, uh, I think it was an A3. Uh, and that was an interesting exercise. That was yonks ago. That must have been uh, at least five years ago. Wow. Spiritual successor to the NSU Row 80. Row 80, yes. Yeah. One of, wow. <clears throat> but um, uh, sorry, on MX30, I think it's so, I think we should just clarify to our viewers and listeners that so. Corby, you drove the EV first in Norway, uh, but the it, yeah. first and this this car in Mazda's range is their kind of point of difference car. It's you know, here's here's the one you buy if you want to tell everyone you're driving something different. But it's interesting that it's launching in the mild hybrid, which uh, is actually the Skyactiv X engine, which we've seen in the three and the CX thirty so far, which is you know compression ignition, supercharged petrol, uh, with you know fancy charging system that qualifies it as a mild hybrid so there's more to it than just mild hybrid but so that's the first one that's arriving then we're getting the full ev and then eventually we're getting the plug-in hybrid which the plug-in hybrid is the one that makes the most sense for australia yep. but it, it differs to most you know kind of uh landmark design ev options that arrive as an ev first and the rest follow you know yeah. it's, it's just an interesting strategy and no doubt you know uh we're just handling you know what uh what we can get hold of uh, you know, after the, the US and European markets yeah. you know, get their say first. But uh, yes, stay tuned for more on that car. Well, the, the, it's the not the MX30 that they showed in Tokyo. This was a pure electric car. And all the talk about it was as a pure EV. And this is not, um, this is not yeah. what we're expecting, it's fair to say. Yeah, it was yeah, good yeah, to yeah. Drive. The pure EV was good to drive. And the one thing I remember was that they were very keen on a lot of electric cars. They have that regen thing where you come off the accelerator and you don't really need to use the brakes. 
they said our our feeling is that a driver wants as they as they as they slow down, you want to be able to brace your body against the brake pedal. So we want you to be able to use the brakes and not have the regen feeling so much. So you could they were talking about being able to adjust that, and I quite liked. So it drove more like a normal car and less like an EV. And I quite like that. Okay, that is a really interesting stance. Yeah. I, I think, you know, look, the, the big problem with electric cars is their range and the uncertainty of their range. I, from my point of view, I can't believe we're all, they're not all defaulting to max regen just to yeah. mitigate that, that, that compromise. Well, it's sometimes a bit of a balancing act too, isn't it? Because if you don't have as much regen, you do have to beef up the brakes because, you know, a car like the i3, for example, I remember our good friend Tim Keane described the brake rotors and the wheels and tyres on the i3 as skinny, like Angelina Jolie's arms skinny. That's 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 um, that's how small the brakes were. Um, so if you don't go the regen, you've got to put a bit more weight in the car because you're putting bigger brakes in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, they've also gone to town on the um, enviro-friendly materials. Yes, the obligatory recycled plastics, uh, the synthetic leatherette, um, but they've gone cork. They brought cork back. So the 1970s. Oh, I love the cork. There's the a 70s, 70s have made a reappearance in this one. Yeah, we met the the engineer, the woman who was in charge of bringing the cork back, and she said, like, everyone just sort of laughed at her, and then they, they looked at the, the fact that it actually worked, and the feel is great, and it was a, that was her job. It was just to put cork oh, in the car. I bet it's a, really good for sound insulation too. Yeah, what a, what nice. a great Aussie reaction to an engineer that steps forward. Everyone just laughed at her. And yeah. And they would have been laughed at her too. <laughs> If you want to prevent wine from getting out as well, I'm sure it's handy. <laughs> yes. Oh, sorry. This CMX30 is corked. Um, I want it. And, I'd, like and, a, I'd like another one. And if you're in the outback, you can cut parts of your car off and turn them into a hat. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Flies okay. be damned. Good. Very so, Australian. Corkage charge at the dealership. Now, charge. Oh, the look. Um, the fifth and final, by no means uh, least, but it is the last, the BMW iX. Now, this is sort of in tandem with the i4 sedan. So it's uh, an EV SUV. Um, it'll be the electronic uh, flagship in Australia, we're led to believe. So the second half of 2021 um, is, its, is its timing for here. Uh, it's dimensionally close to the X6 and it sits on this e-drive um, or it has this fifth generation e-drive electronic um, powertrain and 100 kilowatt battery for over 600 kilometers uh, of range. So again, you've got this two electric motor thing, um, sub five seconds, zero to 100. So it's going to be all-wheel drive. It makes pretty extensive use of carbon fiber, and BMW knows its way around that, having done the the i cars so far. So that's and I I for one think it looks interesting. Um, it's kind of arresting, and that's a that's another one headed our way. Arresting is a good word. It's arresting. All right. Well, maybe you'll be arrested. <laughs> well, maybe someone should be arrested. Oh, so you're not fans. Okay. I, I don't mind. It's, it's, it's a problem with all BMWs is the nose. Like the, the kidney grill is no longer a kidney. It's like a, an exploded spleen. There's something wrong. <laughs> right. Yes. It needs it, attention. It is certainly distinctive, and that's what they're aiming to do. It is so obviously a BMW, and if you want people to know you've got a BMW, everybody will know it's a BMW. But don't you think they looked at Audi like Audi kept going, our grill's got bigger, look, it's bigger, it's bigger, mm. and then the 80s does that kind of starlight it's, grill, and then they go, well, we need it. What are we going to do with the grill? Let's make it enormous. But then, well, yeah. haven't you seen that meme where the grill just grows and grows and grows to swallow the whole car? Oh, it, just, it just becomes a grill. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and it, it reminds me of, for those of a certain age, he'll remember Kenny Everett. He did this thing where he was impersonating Mick Jagger and his lips got bigger and bigger until oh. the, the lips just swallowed his whole body. Um, that's, that's a bit like the BMW grill at the moment. I do remember Kenny Everett. You made my day just making me think about him. Kenny Everett. Um, all right. Well, that's the top five. And as I say, there's a lot more, uh, but they're the ones that, that caught our eye. And um, that is brilliant. And we will move on from there to our very own garage with cars that we can drive. And the, the theme continues. Mal, you have been in something electric. Please fill us in. Yes. So, yes, it's a solid theme this week, ladies and gents. Uh, I have recently finally driven the Audi e-tron, uh, which is Audi's first full EV in Australia. Yes, it is. The uh, and Particularly in the 55 Sportback uh, form, which is the, the bigger battery with the coupe SUV body style yep. in first edition, which has a MSRP of $169,350. Now, I, it, my time with the e-tron coincided with the opportunity to drive to Bathurst for the day from my place in the uh, eastern end of the Blue Mountains. So a 290-kilometre uh, round trip with lots of rise and fall in between and lots of speed variation. So an interesting test for an, an EV. And some cheeky hot laps around Mount Panorama, which is a you know, so. rite of passage. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, actually, we were going to watch racing, so there's no opportunity huh. for hot laps. All right. Uh, sadly. But uh, otherwise, I'd definitely be doing that. Definitely would have. Or 60-kilometre-hour hot laps. Um, and staying to the left, not. <laughs> <laughs> so embarking on this journey, the 55, e-tron 55 has a uh, stated range of up to 436 kilometres, I believe. Uh, now, I have learnt not to trust the range remaining figure when planning a journey. Uh, mm -hmm. These can be wildly optimistic. And fundamentally, they're based on how you have been driving rather than how to you that point. Yes. will be driving. Sure. So given, you know, driving to my house was at 100 k's an hour down the M4 and then beyond my house is at 60, 80 k's an hour up the Great Western Highway for a really long time uphill, yep. uh, I couldn't trust the range remaining figure. Anyway, so what I what I did was I, I knew that I had a good chance of getting to Bathurst with 50% charge remaining. Yeah. Um, and so I used the, the percentage remaining charge as my, my yardstick. And also I checked that... Uh, this is getting really granular and there's lots of numbers here, but the uh, Bathurst has an altitude of 650 metres. Oh, okay, yes. yes. <laughs> I warned you. I warned you. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Here we go. Okay. okay. As somebody who has been stranded in an electric vehicle overnight with a 18-month-old on board, I think it was 18 oh, months, man. I was very oh. careful before I embarked on this journey. Okay. okay. Uh, anyway, you can read all about that. Yeah, Sorry, it's actually happened to you because I, it's my fear that it's going to happen to me. You've it happened. Stuck. It happened. And look, you know, the numbers on the dash helped guide me to a solution. Mm -hmm. uh, but however, my plan of reaching Canberra didn't transpire. Was it was it to a solution for having an eighteen month old with you, or was it a solution <laughs> for the vehicle? Go back in time and re-examine your choices. That's right. Your choices. Tisk tisk. <laughs> Anyway, so, uh, yes, Bathurst is of a higher altitude than my house. Yep. So knowing that, you know, it was, it, overall I was climbing a hill. So I knew that if I arrived in Bathurst uphill with at least 50% range remaining, there's a good chance I'd be able to make the journey home. So okay. Okay. I also 
knew that one of the NRMA's fantastic charge points was in town in Bathurst. So yep. that's the ultimate backup plan if I got there with less than 50% remaining. So I started with 100% charge. And as I said, the Tron has a, a range of up to 436 kilometres. But at yep. 100%, it was showing 356. Mm-hmm. Now, remember, that is based on how I had been driving a car at 100 k's an hour on the M4 to get to my place. Um, so but when also, I got- sorry, Mel, to interrupt, also remembering that constant freeway running is not an EV's okay. ideal environment. That's that's where they're at it, their worst. Not a lot of regen. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. Not a lot of regen and also the motor's forced to spin because you, you know, generally you've got a direct drive transmission. And I'm really looking forward to, to what uh, Corby has to offer on that front in a minute. Okay. Um, so I got to Bathurst and I had 50%, 58% remaining showing okay. on the dash yep. and 223 kilometres on the, the, the range uh, calculator, uh, which is not bad to have dropped by just 133 Ks after 145. But as I pointed out, not, so, you know, not an exact science. Um, now I left it parked all day uh, in the sun. And interestingly, I got back in the car and I'd lost uh, three kilometers off that range remaining. Uh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. Gauge. But yeah. And it, to me, it just reminded me that there's, there's so much more going on under the skin with these EVs than, you know, with a petrol car, you just turn it off and it's off. You know, there's the only uh, the only thing still functioning is the clock, basically. Um, whereas EVs, they've got really complicated thermal management going on, circulating coolant and fans and yeah. et cetera, you know, protecting the batteries. So much more complicated than, than what you find in a uh, combustion engine uh, vehicle. Um so I hopped back in and uh, drove home, and I got home with 25% remaining, uh, interestingly. Wow, okay. That's good. Um, Amazing. So after, after 290 kilometres, uh, it was showing 127 kilometres remaining on the dash. Um, so between Bathurst and my place, it had dropped by just 93 kilometres after 145 kilometres. Uh, and bear in mind that, you know, from Mount Victoria down to my house, the range remaining figure hardly dropped at all at all it wouldn't move yeah constant downhill pretty much nice um so very different energy consumption in the you know between the journeys to and from bathurst uh and that made me realize that the the e-tron really didn't like the steady climb between my house and mount victoria uh and then the short drop down from Mount Victoria, but but very much preferred the sharp incline, slow descent on the way back. Yeah, uh, which I was quite surprised with, given the torque characteristics of the electric engine. I thought it would just sort of you know roll along, no worries. But um, okay, there you go. That's um, good. What an amazing exercise! You, yeah, I, so I, I just picture you with a pencil behind your ear in the yeah. night as you're going along there now. <laughs> no, no, no. I just took photos of the dash as I went and sort of okay. considered it afterwards. I, but uh, we like to drive. Driving it, what was it like to drive? My my, my over my overwhelming memory is heavy. I'll get to that one sec. <laughs> when I got home, uh, plugged it into the wall because I don't have a wall box at home. Uh, it showed it would take forty eight hours to charge back to one hundred percent from the twenty five percent. So you really need a wall box at home, as as we keep hours. telling everyone. Uh, but it is possible, you know. It's it's like having a space have a spare. You can mm-hmm. fill it up at home, and it's great that you don't have to go somewhere to fill it up. Uh, but uh, really, you should prepare for EV ownership. I'd, I'd like an EV jerry can, like a little, you know, generator or a battery um, or just, you know, something you can keep with you. 
Well, they sell those lithium ion things, you know, you see them on infomercials. Yeah. I'm not sure if, How big uh, would it need if to be? You could plug them in. <laughs> Quite yeah. large. They're probably a tenth of a kilowatt hour, you know. Um, but uh, what it's like to drive. Now, yes, I agree. It, it's it's a heavy thing. It feels heavy, but it also feels comfortable. Um, it's, you know, therefore softer than a than an Audi Q5 Sportback, which is kind of what it is. It's the same, same size and shape, and I'm pretty sure the... The side windows are shared, but I haven't, I haven't yep. validated that. Yep. Um, but and so, very interestingly, this has been set up to achieve performance uh, of zero to one hundred and five point seven seconds, which is relatively slow for a, a premium EV. But I'm all for that because that's still pretty quick. Oh, but yeah. that that sort of that that metering of the power delivery is great for preserving charge. So it's pretty quick. Decent charge, that seems like the right calibration to me, rather than you know winding it right up to two point one second capability, which they uh, they might be able to. You know what I mean? Um, now the elephant of the room, though, I think is the virtual mirrors. Uh, have you guys experienced the virtual mirrors yet? No, not yet. so far. Yeah, you also had convention, Corby. I love the idea of them, but in practice, I think it's a misstep. Right? Did you find them challenging or? They keep saying you would get used to it. I spent a whole, like a whole day, just going, "This is weird." I just couldn't right. get used to it. Maybe you do get used right. to it, but it's an, well, I, it's an option. I just think that people who want to look cool will get it and then really regret it. I don't think safety features should require getting used to. No, no exactly. like there's there's no opportunity to get used to something if, if an incident happens. Yeah. Um, and look, it's very clever, and I you know commend them for sort of pushing the envelope. And they're the first to do this, but fundamentally for me you need to look outside of your field of vision to check the screen, you know, mm. whereas you can sort of glance across with normal mirrors that, yeah. you know, are common with every other car on the road. Whereas this, to execute a lane change, you need to sort of consciously look down into a screen that's sort of on the door. So it's below the belt line. Um, and then parallel parking situations are, you know, it just sort of dials up the anxiety levels and you, you may well get used to it in time, but I just feel like, Something that is there for safety shouldn't require uh, getting used to or acclimatization. I guess they argue that your brain is trained from years of driving. Your brain is trained to have mirrors and to do the change in something like this is so significant that it would would really take some time of you only driving that car. Yeah, get used to it. But we are, you know, it is second nature to look at the mirror where the mirror should be in every car, and all of a sudden it's not there. Yeah. All right. Well, look, look, look. We 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 had better move on. Because, Sorry. Um, Sorry. Go on, James. Time, time, time is the enemy. We we should move on. Th- thank you, Mel. Thank you. Um, Pleasure. And Steve, we are going to continue continuing the thing <laughs> because you've been in the electronic spectrum, but a different part of it. Please, please explain. Uh, so I've been in the Porsche Taycan Turbo, which was uh, life changing. My <laughs> my my charging experience was that I don't have a charger either at my house. But uh, if everyone who's bought that car apparently generally has the Porsche fast charger not only fitted at their house, but at their holiday house and their place of work. And gotcha. I think that's what you would want to do. At Porsche did say, come in any time and charge it here if you want to. They can get a full charge in 20 minutes. I thought I'd be smart and go to my local uh, shopping centre, have a have lunch, park it, you know, plug it in for an hour. Yeah. And after that hour, I came back and I'd, I'd achieved 26 kilometres of extra range. <laughs> I thought, that's not what I was looking for. Wow. A, few days, a few days later, I took it to uh, Birkenhead Point, where I know there are some free charges, those destination charges. I went, well, I'll just leave it for a couple of hours. I'll walk home. It'll be fine. I plugged it in. And from, I think I was at 48%, a full charge was going to take six hours. 
Wow. And I was like, well, this is just – so I actually left it there, I think, for five hours and had to get someone to drop me back. So That's a bit of an annoying walk back to your place too. It was annoying. But it's going to go over a bridge. I need the exercise. And uh, <laughs> so the charging for me was frustrating because I, I drove it quite a bit. I, I took it camp. I took it to a cub camp. I went I went down a dirt road in it. But yeah. for the whole week – Your, your five, career they, as, a cub, as a cub leader has been uh, a, a checkered one. But, uh, hey, as a Rolls, I took them through the Rolls Royce once. They set up all kinds of thrills for the cub. <laughs> Did you get a no badge idea. for EV uh, travel? Yes, I got, a, I got a wanker badge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my poor daughter. Anyway, that's um, part of the Prince of Wales as well. Yeah. Yes, but I had so I had it for six days. I think driving it, and someone said, "What's it like to drive?" So I really don't know. The party trick is quite amazing, and I'd, I'd used you know the acceleration is ferocious. But I hadn't. All of my colleagues kept saying, "Have you tried the launch control?" So I took it to a to a quiet bit of road, one of my favourite bits of road. I tried the launch control. I tried driving it around corners, and it was absolutely staggering. Like the the launch is, I've never experienced anything like it. It's it's a you know launch control is normally a horrible thing where you're on the brake and the throttle, and the car is screaming in pain and doesn't want to be doing this, and eventually it sucks and breaks down. You can just do this over and over again. Every time you stop, if you wanted to, you just put your foot on the brake, slam your foot down, let it go. And then your head will hit the uh, your head will every time hit the seat so hard your sunglasses will fly into the back seat. You will scream. Your passenger will fart and vomit. It is uh, amazing. Just That's imagine amazing. imagine going to Christmas lunch with the pavlova on your lap. Oh, <laughs> God. far out. Well, hey, the, um, the impressive thing was that even at, so when when you get to a bendy bit of road, I thought you know it feels heavy. All the weights low down. It's a four door car. Uh, but it is it is the amount of grip and the ability to, uh, to to drive around a corner in the way that a Porsche should with the steering and everything. It's it's mind boggling that car. But it's $269,000. $269, it's a lot of money. Yeah. I've been going to ask, so how does that experience differ from a Tesla in ludicrous mode? Wait, well, I'm... My memory tells me that it is significantly faster, but I'd love to drive them back to back. I mean, I was blown away by ludicrous mode as well, but the Porsche just feels more, more the complete car, and it yep. feels faster in my mind. Like it feels, it feels like the fastest thing I've ever done, and that's. But it's not the Turbo S. What frightens me is the Turbo S has got, I think, three hundred more newton meters. Wow! And yeah. yes, yes. the Turbo is three seconds to one hundred, and the Turbo S is two point eight. And Porsche conservative, I reckon it's faster. I mean, the the Turbo feels faster than three, and it is. Yeah, it's it's like nothing else. But yes, the Tesla's very fast too. This just feels somehow more impressive. I, I must well, say, yeah. I recently did launch control in the 911 Turbo S, and that's claimed at 2.7, and car and driver got a 2.2 out of it. 2.2? Uh, 2.2? Oh, my goodness. So that, that wasn't 0 to 60. That was 0 to 0 to 100. And I've got to tell you, that thing is fast. Mm. So it'd be, it'd be line ball with the Taycan Turbo, maybe not the S, but uh, the 911 Turbo S is just as fast. Mm. And when you've got that cacophony of an internal combustion engine right behind you, it adds an extra dimension of trauma. Yeah, mm. I must say that, that I was really enjoying it. I went up and down my favourite road several times. It's fantastic to drive, but there was a little bit of I, I, something was missing. There was a certain excitement missing, and I know what it was. It's, immediate, it's a sound. Yeah, it does have this fake sound, but it sounds like you're driving the pod racer from the first Star Wars movie. And yeah. I like it because I'm a geek, but it's not going to appeal to everyone. And it's not the same as a yeah. streaming engine, that's for sure. I also I also wonder if if the the power delivery is too easy. Mm. You know how like even with the best turbo engine, you need to rev it to get the best out of it. You know, to a degree. Mm-hmm. Like, is that part of the theatre we're missing as well? Like the it's like, like no four You just you just right. all get them straight yeah. away. Wow. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's true. It, it's the instantaneous <laughs> story, story of my life. 
Um, the, the, I think I'm blushing. <laughs> we'll, we'll move on at that point um, to me. And I was uh, driving a Mazda MX-5 GTRS. It has a certain amount of electric power. There's a 12-volt battery um, in the engine bay, which powers the starter motor connected to the coil. So there's an electric system um, on board but it's actually a two litre four cylinder. Um, it's 135 kilowatts. Arriving at 7,000 RPM, which is pretty much the rev ceiling. Um, 205 Newton meters, 4,000 RPM. Once again, quite high. Uh, six speed manual only for this RS uh, version. Uh, rear wheel drive, of course. And this was the RF with the foldable hard top arrangement rather than the full roadster with the soft roof. So you're talking $51,100 um, for this car. And the RS edition brings with it 17-inch BBS forged alloy wheels, some Brembo alloy pistons, four-piston calipers up on the front brakes, and you've still got your Bilstein gas dampers and strut tower brace and, and all that kind of palaver. And it's I found it classic MX-5 of this fourth generation, um, the, the connected steering, the the click-clack manual, you know, gearbox. Uh, it's so stable and predictable and, and fun to drive. Um, in this car, the, they're sports seats and they're leather, but they're not the Recaros. They're, they're a, a different style, and I, I do like those Recaro seats. It's only 3.9 metres long, and you're reminded how small, how short and how low uh, this car is in traffic. It can be a little bit intimidating, particularly with the size Porter of... than the original MX-5. Which is great, which I like. I really enjoy that essence of the MX-5 has been retained in this fourth-generation model. But when you're next to a, you know, a Land Cruiser, it does feel uh, monolithic and, and you just don't know whether you're being seen oftentimes mm -hmm. um, in traffic. The storage is just a chronic issue. There's, there's a glove box between the seats behind your shoulder, which is tremendously awkward um, to use. Uh, there are no door bins. There's really, you want to go in and get in the car because you're going for a drive, not because you need to take anything with you very much, in the cabin at least. And the ride is firm, and that's what you're signing on for with an MX-5. It's, it's quite jittery. Those, those minor uh, corrugations in a road will upset the car quite a bit. But um, even though it's, it's an under-square engine, but it still loves to rev, it'll, it'll go up to 7,000 revs, but you've got to do that to extract any real acceleration from the car. You've got to rev it hard. And I've got to say, after driving it, I thought when I first drove the MX-5, I enjoyed the 1.5-litre engine. I thought it was a lighter, sweeter, more responsive car. And I do prefer the full roadster experience rather than the, the hardtop um, retractable. Um, and I'd be going for a 1.5 manual roadster for 36 grand and saving 15k um, <laughs> over this car. It's not to say I didn't enjoy driving it, but if it were my choice... I'd probably be going for the smaller engine and the full roadster. But um, there it's it is. amazing with the, with the hardtop one, how differently it drives when you put the roof down because yeah. you really notice the weight changing. So that, yeah, that's yeah. Quite, I think. yeah, that's a point too, yeah. But it is a, you're, you're a large fellow, I mean, a big, a big man. It must, be, it must feel like you're, you've got a slightly too small suit on because it's, <laughs> it's just so tiny when you're in it's it. Such a, it's almost like a, a relief when you've got the roof retracted back. Uh, same thing happened with the older MX-5s with the roof, the hardtop fitted and removed. You know, yeah. totally different handling characteristics. Well, the, you off. feel a bit like the, with the roof back, you feel a bit like the Dukes of Hazards. You know, you can get in the car, just grab the top of the header rail on the windscreen and slip into the seat. You know, it's much easier than origamiing yourself into the into the door when, when the roof's up. So, yes, it is. It's a, it's a small Which you try car. and... You try in every car, don't you? 
That's um, right. Oh, what's sliding across argument. the bonnet and then, then getting in the car. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's great to achieve it every now and again for, for you, James, isn't it? Anyway, uh, the other great thing about the 1.5 is you get skinnier tyres too. And so therefore, like the, yeah. the limits of adhesion are sort of, uh, yeah, it's, it's just more of a... a, a I don't know. I, I think I'm not, I'm not I'm seriously not trying to be better. perverse. I'm not trying to be perverse. I mean, typically you want a bigger engine, more acceleration, whatever. I find that 1.5 really sweet. Um, and the fact that it's the cheaper option is just a bonus um, as opposed to being the driver in, in making the choice. It's hard to imagine more having getting more fun for $36,000 in a new car. Well, that's, yeah. that's a lot of car. Yeah. It's a, lot of, a lot of not much car. It is. It is. That's right. That's right. That's right. So there's my take on it anyway. But we'll move quickly to our uh, feedback. And because, sadly, we have ongoing issues with posting up to YouTube, um, I think a lot of people uh, missed out on, on last week's show. We will post it up to YouTube um, as soon as we can. But we did, uh, our old mate Hammer Rocks found us uh, by watching on our website. And, of course, you can watch um, the, the video version on our website. And he was talking about um, one of Byron's most recent acquisitions, which is a 323 Astina. And Hammer Rocks had one as well. And it was the same colour as Byron's. And Byron explained that that version of the 323, um, I want to say BA, um, Astina, which was called the Lantis in Japan and, and maybe in other markets, was going to be an Amati. Um, it was going to be part of Mazda's premium brand. And that's why a lot of the materials inside seemed to be, in a good way, a little bit out of step with the positioning of the car and the way it was designed. So Hammer found that um, kind of interesting. And he realised now that's why it had such an upmarket feel to it. Um, he had to sell it because it had a bingle and, and it was written off by the insurance company, but he wishes he still had it. Um, and G-Man found us as well. And he says he feels happier after finding us, having been able to watch the podcast. So good on you, G-Man. That's fantastic. But looking around, I hadn't visited our um, Apple podcast page for a while. And it turns out we've got now close to 100 ratings and we're still at a five out of five star rating. And JJ's 38 said, always enjoy listening to these guys. They always manage to have a good discussion as well as a laugh, which I love. So JJ's 38, thank you very much. And uh, G Kotevsky says, good news and content. So thank you very much for that feedback. And we will continue uh, to try and do our best. But at this stage, speaking of doing your best, it's time for Musk Watch. Right, so where do we start? It, I found it very interesting to read this week in The Guardian um, that there's some anger in Papua, um, which is uh, Papua and West Papua are, as the name implies, west of New Guinea, um, north of Australia, we're talking. It's actually um, controlled by Indonesia. Um, and Indonesia has offered Elon via SpaceX a launch pad um, for, for um, his low orbit satellites. And this is in a small island called Biak. Um, and President, uh, sorry, Indonesian President Joko Widodo has reached out to SpaceX and said, look, come and use our island Biak because it's so well placed uh, for you to be doing your stuff. It faces the Pacific Ocean and its location is one degree below the equator which is ideal for launching low orbit satellites for communications with less fuel needed to actually reach orbit. So 
you know, Russians are in there trying to, to have their, um, their launch uh, facilities on BIAC as well. And the locals are just saying, no, we don't want it. You know, we, we, our farming land's going to be ruined. Our way of life is going to be uh, changed forever. So, uh, but, and also Elon's keen and he also wants to take nickel um, out of Papua and has said to uh, the Indonesian authorities, yeah, we'll maybe put a launch pad in there. Um, if we can get some nickel out of the country and you assure us that it's um, uh, mined in an environmentally sensitive way, so it all just gets messier and messier. Familiar, isn't it? I don't like the sound of it at all, but um, keep, keep watching that space as to whether or not it becomes a, a spaceport for SpaceX. Um, and the other thing that caught my eye this week is that Tesla itself has confirmed. Now, this is courtesy of Jalopnik and our old mate, Jason Torchinsky. Um, and he said that the California DMV, they've confirmed, Tesla itself has confirmed to the California DMV that full self-driving beta, much talked about um, addition for Tesla cars, will never, quote, never be full self-driving. Um, so this is the feature that people have paid up front $10,000 US to have the capacity to have FSD, full self-driving. And what um, Tesla has said in its um, um, discussions with the, with the DMV is it's not that. Um, they call it city streets. And they've said it will continue to be firmly rooted in SAE level two capability. That is object and event detection and response subtasks are limited. The driver maintains responsibility for this part of the dynamic driving task. So um, if you're thinking about just, okay, set and forget, hands off, think again, because Tesla itself has said, no, nah, it's not going to have it. I wonder if, I wonder who they're telling the truth to. And it could just be simply a matter of, you know, like when you take your kids to the, the theme park and, you know, you light the gate and say they're under five just to get rego. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but, that's right. That, that is part of the discussion, that they could be trying to just pull the wall over the DSE's, uh, DMV's mm. eyes. Um, that's, that's true. Versus but, lying to the customer, which I hope they're not. Well, the other thing is to get to level three, which is where you can actually don't have to have your hands on the wheel and you, you can be doing other things while you're driving the car, allegedly. Um, there are things about the actual hardware, the car itself, whether it's capable of a robust level three system um, due to its lack of redundancies, um, sensor and camera cleaning maintenance systems. It, it doesn't have that. Um, so you're never really sure of whether these things are going to be 100% um, operational, it all seems a little bit risky to me. It's like autonomy seems to be getting further away. It's seven years now since Audi said to me at the Paris Motor Show, next year we will have a car, an Audi agent, but you can sit there and read the paper, check yeah. your email, you will not need to drive. And yeah. it hasn't happened. It hasn't no. happened in the end. So. No, you're right. Yeah. You're right. And also, wasn't it the, the previous generation S class? They said that the technology's in there, it's just not enabled. Oh, do yeah, it. They, keep saying, they keep saying the car can do it, but we're not allowed to turn it on. Yeah, a wonderful whole generation on. That's a whole lot of technology that's never been used. Well, yeah, generation I'm, of S class. I'm still looking forward to Elon's uh, autonomous drive across America in 2017. That's, <laughs> that's going to be that's going to be awesome. Pre-COVID, um, I look to it too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, that's a really good point. Uh, Steph. It feels like it's getting further away rather further than closer. Sure. But um, but that's a ten thousand dollar option. A lot of people have coughed up, and they're all wanting it. You go online and look at uh, Elon's Twitter feed, and they're falling over themselves to try and get it. 
But we'll, we'll continue on and look, the Tesla share price has made a bit of a comeback. It's up 14 nearly $15 this week after it had been falling uh, consistently for a month or so. It hit a low of $546 on Sunday, but Elon made $25 billion on Tuesday because <laughs> it, it started to go the other way. Um, but the Motley Fool said, you know, asked the question um, or answers the question, why Tesla stock skyrocketed today? It's basically with the mindset of coming out of COVID-19, that is the vaccine is being widely applied in the US, investors have rotated out of high-priced growth stocks that have performed well during the coronavirus crisis into more bargain-priced stocks they could benefit from a post-pandemic economic recovery. So Tesla was caught up in this rotation and their theory is that it's just been an overreaction and that Tesla's price will actually come back that this um, sell-off was was overdone so next week will be interesting but it did take a big fall um and you know a low of 546 that's that's um that's a fair bit but uh we'll see and i think with that we have reached the finish line i want to say thank you steve pleasure and thank you mal thank you james and steve (laughs) and thanks to our soft cheese authority quantum resonance researcher and platypus biologist, Mr. Pritchard, for his deft production skills. This week, he's wearing a T-shirt saying, today's forecast, no. Panda pants and a hair hat. And no, it's, it's not a toupee. It's a hair hat. Um, let us know your thoughts. You can find Cars Guide on Facebook and Instagram or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. If you're an Apple podcast listener, please rate and review us. Remember, you can normally watch us on YouTube and we'll be back there soon. Uh, But before we go, my wife said I was overconfident on the way home this week, sitting a fancy European dessert in the centre console of the car. I didn't really care. But then the shift hit the flan. (laughs) Oh, goodness me. Speaking of take and launch control. (laughs) Wow. Thanks, Dad. That thought occurred. (laughs) 